Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Diana Kelly Levy. Diana is a freelance writer with over 20 years of media experience, having served as a staff editor at Weight Watchers, Prevention, Muscle and Fitness, and Natural Health. Here's a little side note to this. I have known Diana for many years, since like 2014. I used to be a freelance writer for her at many of these publications. So this is an interesting this will be an interesting conversation to see what's happened in all that time. So she's now a freelance copywriter, content marketer, writer, marketing writer, journalist, and occasional ghostwriter, she says, who regularly works in the health, wellness, personal finance, pets, and other healthcare spaces. And so today we are going to talk about what are the most important skills to know in copywriting and how they relate to content writing. We're going to get into how Diana ended up as a freelancer, how she works an average of 15 hours a week and earns mostly, uh, she says, mostly a six-figure salary. How does all that work? And a whole lot more. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Diana. I am so happy to have you on my show today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you, Linda. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. Yeah. And it's so funny. I said in the intro, I mentioned that you and I have known each other. I think the last time we corresponded was like 2014, which I couldn't believe how much time had gone by. Mm -hmm. But I was doing a lot of, um, it was mainly print uh, articles. And so for magazines, like I think you and I knew each other from prevention. It looks like muscle and fitness probably. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I was um, an online editor at both of those publications. So like three years of prevention and then um, perhaps two or three years at Muscle and Fitness. Yeah. Prevention. I remember that was, um, that was a huge, uh, I mean, they were really big. I don't know if they're still, I don't know what's happened to all these magazines because so many of them folded. Are they, is prevention yeah. still around? Prevention still around. I know they have the website. I don't know if they have the magazine. Um, I feel like so many of these magazines Sometimes they fold it, but then they come back with special issues, um, yeah. sometimes quarterly and things like that. So I think it kind of be tough to track. And um, at the time, it was Rodale. And I'm not entirely sh- sure the company is right now for prevention. Yeah. And it's just changed so much. So the, the first question I have for you is since, so you've been a writer and editor for like 20 years. So what happened? Like, are you doing... Like, did you just decide to leave the whole print publishing world or was it sort of a necessary change because everything was so crazy? Like, what? Yeah, happened? I think what's interesting is um, I actually wound up at WeightWatchers.com was my first editorial role. And um, I wanted to go in print magazines. That was like 2006. You know, print was obviously still huge and it was cool and exciting to work in print magazines then in New York City. Um, and I kind of thought a digital editor maybe needed some experience with like I like some technology, HTML, things like that. Um, I kind of thought it was like more technically involved than it actually was. So luckily, uh, Weight Watchers kind of took a chance on me and I was an editorial assistant there, uh, kind of moved up through the ranks there, did a lot of like writing and even had chances to edit, which was fun. 
um, from there, I went to Prevention Magazine's website and I was brought on to be a senior editor there and kind of work with their weight loss platforms. I had the background mm-hmm. at uh, Weight Watchers. So they had the Flat Belly Diet book and um, that was making a lot of money for them. So they had an app they were launching and a lot of programs. So I brought on for that. But really at that time too, digital editors were just kind of taking the content from the magazine and putting it up like you were pretty much a production staff. Um, and then that year, 20, let's see, 2009, things changed a lot. Obviously, it was like January 2009. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, digital editors kind of, you were important, <laughs> you were needed. And um, we started publishing original content online. And I think that was the beginning of like print editors starting to kind of like get a little nervous. And um, I feel like over the years there, prevention, people were kind of coming over to me and saying like, hey, can you teach me how to like, right for the web or what I need to know and that type of thing, which was really interesting. Yeah. And it was different. I just remember I was doing so much for print and one by one, the magazines were folding and what I would getting paid for, for print, it was like 25% was what I, that was offered for online. And that was when I said, I need to do something different. And it was just, um, it seemed like it was almost overnight. Like it just happened so fast. And so it's just, and I notice now that when I go on LinkedIn and I'll look up like editors I used to write for and work for like yourself and everyone's freelance now. Yeah. yeah. Or just, they're working with brands, I find that, um, I, uh, which is good for me and you, people like you who um, a lot of them are working with brands with their content, managing editors, um, head of content, that type of thing, because that's really where the money is. And I don't know that I would say it's definitely more secure, but um you know, I don't know that I would say a full-time job is more secure, you know, freelancing is kind of all over the place this year, but I kind of wanted to bet on myself. Um, so there was a lot of layoffs in media and I got let go from prevention in February, 2013. And I was always freelancing on the side and I kind of was like, let me try this. Let me see if I can make it happen. Um, so I did, and I never went back to a full-time position again. Um, I did take some part-time positions because I kind of felt like it was good to get out of my studio apartment in Manhattan and um, just to have that steady paycheck kind of was nice to like know that two days a week I was going perhaps in office or working from home and just kind of got some steady pay rather than chasing after it all over the place. I know. I mean, that's the thing where people put down like nine to five, you know, jobs. And I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, so I don't even know. I can't remember the last time I had like a nine to five job. I can't imagine. And I think that once you have that mindset, it's really hard to go back because you're going to run, even if it's less money. Cause I know for me, I mean, you have your downtimes and you have, you know, times where you have more work than you can handle. And it's just, it's something you have to learn to manage as a freelancer, as you, as you know. So. But how do you manage to work? Like you, you told me you work an average of 15 hours a week now and you manage yeah. to still like keep up at a, a six figure income. Is that? Yeah. Correct? Yeah. And I finally got back to the six figure income this year um, after having two kids in the past three years. Um, so my kids are in daycare school three days a week and I just sit down and work as hard and fast as I can. Um, those three days that they're in school. So really I can have like an hour of like, I have about 24 hours to work a week. And so really kind of just keeps me very focused. Um, I tracked my time with toggle and, um, previous, I mean, cause I think I was tracking my time since like 2016 on, um, I know that in 2018, I was like hitting 
six figures, but I was like working like 40 hours a week. And, and, you know, it's like, right. If you have the time in your week, you're just kind of working slower, dawdling, maybe spending a little more time reading articles, right? you know, reading a little bit more on LinkedIn. So I just really limit the time that I'm doing much else that isn't like client work. And even of those 15 hours, I would say about 10 of it is like client work um, right now, a little bit more coming up soon. Cause I have like a new kind of like anchor client I'm doing some stuff with, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of like being focused and um, I'm not doing much else with those days. Yeah. That is key. Cause I know with myself, I use Clockify, which is another, it's I mean, like toggle mm-hmm. and I track, like I find if I'm not timing myself, I, I will be, I'll look at my phone. I start doing, and it's like, it's the hardest thing for me. And I always joke, I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I have such a hard time focusing. I'm sure I'm kind of borderline. And so the only way is if I have like, I listen to headphones that has like binaural beat, like productivity music and, and I clock and block out time and still it's hard. So I admire that, but it it sounds like you really have you don't have a choice. Like you have to, this is the time that you have. And so you've got to make the most of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when I've had the weeks where I'm not as busy, maybe I'm like one article due on Friday. I'm not getting it done on Monday. I'm like taking my time. I don't, you know, I'm doing more marketing. I'm doing more outreach. I'm a little bit rising. I don't have as much work coming in. Um, so I'm sending out like a lot of um, introductory emails and messages. and just following up on previous contacts and things like that. Um, yeah. To your point too, about like, finding like how to be productive. I tried the body body doubling type technique um, with like work from the app there where you like kind of join on um, like a video to call with somebody you and I would like sign on and like work for 45 minutes together. Um, and there's music and play in the background. It's kind of hosted by somebody. So it kind of just keeps your butt in the seat. <laughs> I find that I got a lot work. I got a lot of work done that way earlier in the year. Yeah. And I find that, um, yeah, if I have to do that, that I definitely, if I have like an hour to get something done, say I have a doctor's appointment or something and right. I will get it done. I'll get a lot more done than if I'm just randomly, you know, just <laughs> sitting at my desk. Hey there, fellow copywriters, entrepreneurs, and B2B marketers. Before we dive back into the conversation, let me introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena. It's called lead feeder. Now we can all relate to the struggle of identifying those elusive website visitors and turning them into valuable leads. But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts. Yes, I'm talking about lead feeder. Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Lead feeder is not just a tool. It's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. So what sets Lead Feeder apart? Well, it's the ability to provide detailed insights into visitor behavior, helping your sales team prioritize efforts and close deals faster. With customizable notifications, lead scoring, and GDPR compliance, Lead Feeder is changing the game. So if you're ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals, head over to leadfeeder.com for your free demo today. That's L-E-A-D-F-E-E-D-E-R.com. Don't miss out on the future of successful lead generation with Lead Feeder. And now back to our show. What surprises me, especially when I was really doing a lot of article writing and content writing, and I had, I would be juggling like way more assignments than I would be willing to do now. It just was, it was crazy at one point. Um, 
Now I forgot where I was going with my question. Um, oh, I know. I was su- always surprised to hear of someone like you, who is an editor, still having to market yourself. Like, I would think, you know, you, once you get to a certain level, do you ever get to, is there such a thing as getting to a level where you just don't have, like, if you're working for yourself, where you don't have to market yourself? Yeah, I mean, that would be nice, right? So I think, um, and I do, I would even now I do a lot more like writing than editing. I like want to get back to editing a little bit more because I feel like, like you know, it's hard to just do writing all day long sometimes. So the kind of switch tasking of editing um, is fun for me. So no, I'm always marketing. Um, hopefully you get referrals and things like that. And I kind of, I'm always following up on like those warm leads, I would call it. You know, I kind of go back to like my Google spreadsheet of everybody I worked with over the past couple of years. And I go look down and, look up somebody's name, see where they are on LinkedIn, send them an email. If they're somewhere new, if they're at the same place, just kind of check in. And I'm always doing that. Um, so yeah, I do get some referral work, but it's not like we're just throwing cash at my doorstep and I don't need to go out and kind of keep doing it. Um, and I think even like Jennifer Goforth Gregory, if you've seen her um, on yeah. LinkedIn, other places, she's big in the content marketing world. She, you know, still says she has to spend time marketing and all that. Like, even I saw she was posting this year about that. And I think you really do. Um, one post I put on LinkedIn recently and kind of put out my newsletter was that I lost like 70% of my clients from last year, earlier this year. And so I had to like go back to the drawing board and just scrape them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there you have to always be changing and evolving. And of course, people are freaking out about AI and all that. So it's just you have to keep up and just kind of stay connected with people. What was I, I was going to ask? About, oh, so marketing yourself. Oh, I just want I wanted to mention that yesterday on LinkedIn, one of my copywriting coaches got on and said, hey, you guys, just so you know, I am about to give an assignment to a copywriter who reached out to me through my DMs and just said, hey, do you need anything done before the end of the year? So we are recording this on December 13th. So, you know, do you have anything you need done um, by the end of the year? And she goes, so you know what? I'm coming up with my wish list. And so I immediately sent out six, <laughs> six like wow. outreach to people that I knew. If they, yeah, if they have any, you know, any overflow by the end of the year, because, you know, it kind of makes you think. And if it's somebody who works in a marketing department, sometimes they have a budget they need to use up of clients, especially more so like editorial and they realize like if they don't use it, they'll lose it for the next year. So sometimes like people would say like, especially in the health and wellness weight loss field, people have like a lot of January content deadlines and they'd say, here, work on these or even just like invoices for a bunch of them by the end of the year. You know, even if you have to like do a rolling deadlines with turning them in in January, especially if it's people I've worked with before. So I think yeah. there's money out there and people need to use it if this is the end of their uh, fiscal year and, um, it doesn't hurt to check in. Like I said, like this week is the week to check in. Like next week, people are kind of taking off, I think, and it might get lost. Um, yeah. And I always find that January to be slow. I don't know about you, but in the past, it was slow for me a lot of times. So that's kind of yeah. a good time to work on my business, I think. And that's the thing is when there's downtime, I mean, that's when you do things like, you know, kind of, I mean, for me, I look at, you know, what's the new approach I'm going to take this year. And for me, it's like my podcast I want to really, you know, ramp it up. And so I'm thinking of everything I can do with it. And for the first time, like this, this episode will have a sponsor. Now I have some sponsors. And so it's very cool. And I joined, part of it is I joined a podcast group. So, you you know, brainstorm. I used to think, you know, writers and copywriters are so competitive, but we help each other out, you know, because there's just so much work and not everyone is good at everything. So you have to kind of find your niche and, you know. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So that's how you stay top of mind with like editors and clients. Like, so you just go back through your list occasionally and anything else that you do along those lines to. Yeah. This year I also just sent emails to quite a few people and just said, um, here's what I'm, here's what I've worked on recently. Here's maybe what you know me for, but I also do this. So I sent emails to perhaps some of the like health and wellness editors I worked with. And uh, letting them know, like, okay, I'm doing, you know, I do SEO writing, I do copywriting, I do white papers and e-books and things like that. And I've added some new BE clients um, or even like sponsored posts. So that's really helped a lot. Like I got a little bit of work that way or even the person, if it was like another freelancer, I would say that to some freelancers and I would say, let me know what you're doing and what you work on in case I can keep you in my um, top of mind for things. So I feel like that's really helpful. I've done more discovery calls this year that's what i've done i feel like i did some things that didn't work i did like a local um speaking gig at a local college and i kind of didn't realize they didn't have access to any like email information or anything like that like i just did like a live presentation and then it wasn't recorded and like i didn't i was hoping it would work out to be some leads and i really didn't so i'm like okay i tried it right i learned something so i feel like there's just a lot of like learning and developing and um you know, setting some goals for yourself that you feel like are manageable and that you can hit. But um, letting people know all the time that you're available for work. I, I tell mm-hmm. people, I tell coaching clients, post on social media. You'll see people posting on LinkedIn. Um, I think it doesn't hurt. So like post like every two months or so, you know, that what you're working on, perhaps some recent projects you did and completed and uh, that you're looking for work. I've had people just reach out through, you know, they said they saw me on LinkedIn. They said a colleague saw me on LinkedIn and they reached out for some work. So never yeah. know who's out there watching and reading yeah yeah and the thing with linkedin is so many people are lurkers like they don't comment they don't even like your posts mm-hmm. but they're there i've had so many people reach out to me that way and just recently i had um someone reach out she's a vp of marketing and she said someone else was looking for a copywriter and you were one of the people recommended among others and she says i saw that you kind of specialize in wellness and fitness and so that's what we do. So she reached out to me. So I didn't even know, you know, anything about her. It wasn't a post about me. In fact, the person that had recommended me, I never heard from anyone on that, you know, but I just put my name out there. So yeah, so that's a good, a good idea. Is LinkedIn now something you're doing more of? Absolutely. Yes. I, um, I think that's how we kind of reconnected again recently. And, um, and I learned more about your copywriting background that time. Like I thought of you as the health, wellness, fitness writer, because that's what I used you for. So I yeah. think it's you know good for that type of thing too. You're posting and you're getting yourself out there and um, people only know you perhaps for one thing and then you're showing them that you um, do a lot of other um, copywriting tasks and things like that. So yeah, I would say I try to post on there like at least four times a week. Um, mm-hmm. I set up creator mode. I have a newsletter that goes out every two weeks. And um, it's been good for leads. I do some kind of cold outreach via there. And I've got one client that's like almost a thousand dollars a month that I just kind of got through like a send him a DM and he's like, okay, I'll keep you in mind. And then he followed up like a month or so later and was like, Hey, you know, we have some work for you eventually. Um, so one kind of trick I use and um, that I like to post and I can't do it too often is I like to post polls and you'll see this on my page. Right. And it's kind of for those people who are the lurkers and mm-hmm. They, I think sometimes too, people are afraid to even like like or comment on a post because maybe they're afraid that their bosses are going to see them on LinkedIn and think they're looking for a job. I think there's kind of like that portion of things. I've taken some LinkedIn surveys amongst my 
freelance audience that some people are afraid to like start posting on LinkedIn because they think, oh, somebody's going to think I'm like looking for a job and my boss is going to fire me or something like that. So the polls, people just vote in. And I think it's just like a very low lift, but you as the poll creator can see everybody who voted right. and it kind of gives you an excuse to reach out to them. Right. So like I would message them and say, Hey, like you, especially if it's like a second connection, I have LinkedIn premium. Say, hey, thank you for voting my poll. Like what's new and exciting mm. in your world or that type of thing. Um, so it kind of gives you an excuse to reach out to people who like you haven't worked with in a while. Yeah. They just, you know, it's just a way to interact with them and kind of just put yourself in front of them and uh, give yeah. you that excuse to kind of reach out. Yeah. So, one thing I've found that was surprising to me is that commenting is super important. Like, absolutely. Like this morning, I posted something, but I just haven't had time to go in there and comment, and I won't get nearly as much interaction. I mean, I might go on there later, but today's just one of those busy days. So it's really hard to do that. But I will spend literally an hour to an hour and a half just. I, the formula I've heard is that you comment for a half hour, you post something, and then stay on the site for another half hour to answer like your comments, you know, people commenting mm -hmm. on your post. And that seems to work really well. Um, and then you're all supposed to, you know, reach out to the people who are potential prospects, but sometimes you don't know. And I've, I've like met a lot of people who I now consider my friends on LinkedIn. It's like, and they're not really somebody who'd ever hire me, but it's fun. And it's like, I work out of the house. It's just me. So, you know, that's my water cooler. It's like, Hey, what's going on I'm joking around and that kind of thing. So, but yeah. Um, do you use any particular tools or systems to like either streamline your process, like we talked about um, productivity and that kind of thing, or even just improve your workflow. Cause I'm always looking for something. Yeah, that's actually one of my 2024 goals. So if you find something great, uh, let me know. I kind of got into Notion a little bit this year mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't feel like, I know there's like so many like YouTube videos and there's people like gung ho Notion. Um, I was trying to use it for tracking pitches and things like that. And it was good for kind of prompting me to follow up. But um, I still not like as good and on top of it. So I'd say some clients use um, Asana. They use Trello, um, Basecamp, things like that. Like, so I've used it with them. Um, there's nothing, I just use Google Sheets. still not yeah. old school ways. Um, and so, you know, I'd love to find some processes and to find things and just kind of streamline some stuff a little bit more, especially because like working those like three days a week, I feel like, just having some more things in place would really just help me. Yeah, I've been doing kind of the same thing. I use Notion. I got into it because somebody on LinkedIn posted and they gave away a free LinkedIn uh, like scheduling um, format. And I didn't know the first oh. thing about Notion. And I copied and pasted it. I can send it to you. You can look at it. Um, and I, I'll put it like in the comments of this podcast too. But it's it's been really helpful. It's the only thing I've used consistently. And so there's like a category for the date, what you're posting, what kind of format it is. And I also, and, and what it is, but what's even more helpful, do you use Shield? Shield is an I app. don't, but I've heard great things about it. So oh, perhaps yeah. that's 2024 that I do. Yeah. That is, that's been super helpful. I was just on it this morning because I couldn't find a post because that it's automatic and you don't have to do anything except post on LinkedIn and it will populate everything like now I've been on there. I've used shield for a couple of years now. And so I can go back to like a year ago, you can look at um, your content from the format. You can look at, um, you can rank everything. 
according to how, which had the most views, which had the most engagement, and then you can see what's working and what's not. And so it's a good way to repurpose, to go through and say, hey, you know, this was really popular. Like you talk about polls, and I've mentioned this in a couple of episodes that I did a poll about using the F word and profanity in marketing and mm-hmm. is it acceptable yeah. or not? And I think I got 100,000 views on it. And that's something that was crazy because it triggered a lot of people. You know, some people said I was, uh, one person said, that's the dumbest question I've ever seen on LinkedIn. And other people were like, it, it really got a lot of people fired up. So there was a lot of engagement and a lot, yeah. I got a lot more followers because of that. So yeah. You know, and whether like, maybe they don't like that word or they want to spell you and see what you're going to like post next, right? And I know you've said in some other podcasts that you're like, ah, I like to have the opposing view and that kind of thing. So this is more fun to follow, you know, potentially on LinkedIn for some people. <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, and my thing yeah, I is, think it's great know, to do that, get some engagement. Why not? I had a copywriting coach that said she had this thing about just start an argument on LinkedIn or just start an argument. <laughs> She didn't mean like really start a fight, but you want to be controversial. And that's something that I, I don't like doing because if it happens by accident, it's fine. But you know, I'm not going to talk about religion or politics or that stuff I think is very polarizing and not, I mean, not something I think you should do. You agree with that? Yes. Even like the poll they just posted was about, um, what do you think is like the biggest LinkedIn fail of not having a profile photo, not having your about page, like your about section, not posting consistently and um, <clears throat> something else. And it was like, for me, it was at the profile photo, but I understand that some people maybe don't want the public face out there. Um, so I posted that I was looking for a CEO and I was surprised that the CEO didn't have profile photo. And I was like, oh, because normally most people like wouldn't accept it. You kind of think of that person almost like as a bot or somebody with very few followers or very low profile. And um, so I just kind of posted out there to see what people thought. Um, and then one person actually had a really good tip that she said some people might not know that their profile is not um, like able to be viewed by the public. You might have some like, weird set, like a setting that you didn't click off, um, which I feel like is good and helpful, but you never know what's going to turn into a controversy. And so even like I thought, are people going to come after me and say that like women who don't want to be found or like don't have profile photos or like, is it going to be this whole other, you know, I'm like, I could have thought about it. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to think this much about this post, right? It's silly, but you kind of go to all the other potential things that could happen. And I'm like, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, on LinkedIn, I think it's pretty safe. I mean, I, I'm on um, TikTok just to for my own entertainment. I don't post anything. But even on that, um, people who have, they they borrow like some famous person's name. And you know, it's not really the person. Because mm-hmm. I mean, somebody reached out to me and it's like, I know this isn't that person. So I'm not even going to respond to it. And then I found a way to block anyone from being able to see like my profile, my stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people are just waiting to take advantage. And so LinkedIn, LinkedIn to me is the, it's the only platform I really use because most of the time, even if people disagree with you, they're going to present it in a way that's usually professional and like open to hearing, you know, what you have to say and that kind of thing. So and the people who stir up a lot of trouble, because there have been a couple people, this is a while ago on LinkedIn, that are always starting arguments and always doing some kind of political posts. I just stopped listening to them. It's like, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking about the clients I'm working with, right? Like, I'm just like, the clients who are potentially looking at me, like, they're going to see what I'm posting there and things like that, or what I'm saying, what I'm commenting on, and they're following, you know, what you're saying. And you don't want to actually lose a client because of a comment you made because you kind of got fired up in, in a negative way. I mean, it's fine to have the strong emotions and things like that, of course, but right, remembering yeah. you're on a 
versus a, a professional platform is different than texting your friends the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, what do you think as far as 2024? Um, do you have advice for freelancers? Because obviously I am one and you are one. Do you have advice like maybe something that we don't do enough or, or something that you want to do in the new year? You mentioned a couple things. Um, I'm thinking of trying to make it to some conferences this year. Um, trying to see if that could happen, you know, maybe late in the year or something like that, just to kind of spark some creativity and new connections and things like that. Um, I think also just working on new skills and things like that, like discovering the new platforms. I get that some people are very anti-AI and I think you kind of can't be honestly, and that you have to like, at least know about it, know what's happening, play around with it, have some understanding of it, at least, even if you're not using it in your business, I think there needs to be that. Right. Um, and I think you just need to stay on top of these things, right. If you're in the publishing industry, see what's happening. Um, like in editorial, I'm noticing there's a lot of e-com and reviews writing because those are, driving some revenue for the brands like through Amazon links and affiliate links. And that's the type of assignments people are giving to me and things like that these days. So perhaps like honing more of your copywriting skills that would um, be conducive to that and e-com and like approaching your editorial clients with um, those types of ideas. So I think really you need to be, you need to see what's going on in the industry, right? Not just like have your idea that you want published in this magazine or on this website because you think it's perfect for them, but really see what are they doing on their homepage? What's going on on their social media accounts? Um, you know, we're using TikTok as um, fodder for article ideas. I've been quite a few article ideas for brands and things like that. They're like, here's this TikTok beauty trend. You know, what did the professionals say about it? And, and that type of thing. And so, and I'm really not into TikTok. I've been on it a little bit here and there, but I still have to kind of be on it for work. So I think there's like, you need to stay on top of technology. I mean, it's not fresh tips, but it's really like, find something new that's going on that like where your industry and niche, you know, where it is. Yeah. It's about keeping up with things. And it, it, it's funny because when I talk to people outside of marketing, like I was at the gym this morning, I'm talking to these two women I know, they have no idea what chat GPT even is. Like they're just not in that world. And whenever I hear that, which has happened a couple of times, I'm always taken back. Like, cause everyone I talk to is like in this world and it's, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn and we're kind of up to, it's a matter of, you know, keeping up to date. It's like when I was pitching magazine editors like yourself, it would always be you know, the research into what have you recently published? You know, what is trending online or in, in news? And then is there some angle that is not being covered? or something that's interesting. I always try to go for something that's a little bit quirky. Like um, I've done articles like 15 weird health issues. I did this for MSN years ago <laughs> that you never hear about. And it was, I knew it was something that would get a lot of eyeballs, which it did because it was just really weird. Like there's some syndrome where people just don't know what one side of their body is doing. It's like some kind of a stroke thing. And so uh -huh. one hand will unbutton a shirt and the other hand will button. I mean, it's just weird, but it's legit. So I would find like really weird things like that. And so, but that's, it takes some, some digging, you know, you're not just going to surface level pitch something and expect it. You can't expect it to be accepted. So, yeah. That's a, so I guess that goes for copywriting or for content really. 
you know, it, yeah, uh, I think so. And I think about the copywriting, um, again, like I think most of my clients know me for content writing, SEO writing, editorial writing, and things like that. They don't know as much that I'm doing copywriting as I have done it. And I think that's a place where um, perhaps people with an editorial background and things like that can really be exploring because there's, I think there's a lot of work out there um, that can kind of be snatched up for it, you know? And I think even just like thinking about the potential samples you have, I had to think back and I was like, wow, I was working at weightwatchers.com, which is a brand. I was writing their product copy. Like that was a form of copywriting and like newsletter writing and social media writing. And um, I think sometimes content and writers and editorial writers don't think about that they are doing copywriting. I think it would be nice to like put together, you know, your swipe file, your clips, and kind of have it ready and let some of your clients know that you do this um, and approach right. brands with this. Because I think brands are looking for people with some editorial background as well. Um, but they want to know, you know, somebody used to write headlines for magazines and like the cover lines, that's copywriting. You've got somebody to pick up a magazine from a grocery store checkout line or an airport and buy like an $8 magazine, you know, that is totally copywriting. Um, so I think you have to think of what you're doing in a uh, like more sales forward way sometimes. Yeah. And if you can come up with a new way to walk off the weight, you're golden, right? Because... Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I that was a profession in flat... Yeah. Well, that was Water. a flat belly diet did so well for that brand. And I think um, so prevention was part of men's health at the time. And I want to say there was like, anytime they put flat belly on a prevention magazine it was something like 40% more like newsstand wow. sales, which is why they like launched that diet. They're like, we have to figure out something behind this. And I think same thing was like for um, men's health, it was something like anything they put belly or abs on there and probably like obviously a sex headline, like they just sold so many more copies. So that's what they keep doing every time. Even if the article in the magazine might be a one page thing versus a feature, right. it's just, that's what sells. So it's about knowing, you know, getting those analytics. Even back then, you wouldn't have thought of that, but just knowing what you're putting out there, how it's performing, um, looking at the data, and you said reworking it, looking at your Shield information from LinkedIn and see what your most popular posts were. And can that be translated into, obviously, social posts, newsletters, a cool news, a podcast topic? Um, I think that's really what everybody has to be doing to maximize their time as well. Um, yeah. Not just taking something and just slicing it up and dicing it, I think working it different ways, but... Uh, seeing what worked and see what can kind of be leveraged for other platforms. Yeah, different angles, um, all kinds of you know different repurposing methods and ways you can you can use it. But yeah, so where can people find you? So you're on LinkedIn and you have um, other anywhere else that you want people to they want to contact you. Thanks. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn at Diana Kelly Levy L E V E Y. And I'm on dianakelly.com. Um, there's my blog there. Or you can find out more about me. I'm on Instagram at Diana Kelly Levy Freelance. And Twitter is still at Kelly. I'm on threads a little bit here and there. So, oh, that's more still around. Over to <laughs> <laughs> it no, is. Right. You know, I, I just saw a post the other day. People were wondering where, like, the journalists are. There isn't as much on Twitter <laughs> these days. And so people are trying to figure out where, where to find journalists and editors and things like that. So um, yeah. I, that's why I kind of just concentrate my efforts on LinkedIn, you know, at this time, it doesn't seem super controversial. So. Right. Yeah. I've seen you on, on Twitter, I think, well, X now, but um, yeah, yeah, I follow you there. So I see some of your posts. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes so people can find you. And thank mm -hmm. you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Linda. Take care. 
And that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions. And for even more copywriting exclusive tips, be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.